Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are laying our cards on the table and summoning the courage to ask, offer, and receive forgiveness. It might sound simple, but far from it. Guaranteed, you've got some sort of shame or guilt stowing away in the baggage you've been dragging around for decades. Maybe you haven't come to terms with it, or you've convinced yourself with faulty justification just to get by, but it's there. Well, today, with your permission, we're going to unpack it with the attempts to sort it out. Forgiveness is multifaceted, which is why we're looking at the concept from multiple angles. Asking for it when needed, learning to forgive yourself, extending that offer to others, and then benefiting from receiving said forgiveness. All equals freedom in one form or the other. First, you have to be open and willing to accept responsibility for your own actions and be self-aware enough to realize what you're holding on to or refusing to ask for could be making all the difference. Ready to take the next step? I'm not one to hold a grudge, primarily because I hate tension, literally loathe confrontation. I also don't like to be in a bad mood. I'm not a brooder, a worry wart, or a nervous Nelly. I love calm, consistent joy with a sprinkling of anticipation and a dash of drive. That's where I feel most comfortable. Because of that, I do what it takes to get over it, for the most part. Where I struggle most is with self-forgiveness. Most of us tend to hold ourselves to a much higher standard than we do others, So with that comes harsh judgment and an unwillingness to forget, let alone forgive. What does that look like on the face? Maybe nothing if you're good at hiding your deepest feelings. This means a sunny disposition can be hiding a darker storm, so just beware. You cannot judge a person by what you see. We have all had trials and tribulations throughout our lives which are far from over. You might be good at compartmentalizing, but others may not. So our reactions and how we work through each incident of struggle and strife make the way for what lies ahead. Why is self-forgiveness so hard? Why are we so quick to let someone else off the hook, too swiftly lower their expectations, but our own are kept to the highest standards with no second chances? I don't know. Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever had an in-depth conversation through a personal deep dive on yourself? Hmm, might be time. Dr. Stephen Marmer enlightens us with more about forgiveness found at PragerU.com. Anyone familiar with Italian opera or the plays of Shakespeare knows the terrible price paid for grudges, vendetta, and revenge. Under the sway of these emotions, painful incidents linger in the mind, zapping our ability to find peace and happiness. The 18th century English poet Alexander Pope gives us the antidote, to err is human, to forgive divine. But finding a way to forgive without giving up our principles is often no easy task. This is speaking about forgiveness, where it is most often needed. 
in context to your everyday personal life with family members, friends, coworkers, and business associates. One of our challenges in understanding this process is that the word forgiveness is inadequate to explain a very complex concept. Forgiveness actually embodies three different things, each of which applies to different situations and provides different results. The three types of forgiveness are exoneration, forbearance, and release. So let's look at each in turn. Exoneration is the closest to what we usually think of when we say forgiveness. Exoneration is wiping the slate entirely clean and restoring a relationship to the full state of innocence, the innocence it had before the harmful action took place. There are three common situations in which exoneration applies. The first takes place when you realize that the harmful action was a genuine accident for which no fault can be assigned. The second is when the offender is a child or someone else who, for whatever reason, simply didn't understand the hurt they were inflicting. The third situation occurs when the person who hurt you is truly sorry, takes full responsibility without excuses for what they did, asks for forgiveness, and gives you confidence that they will not knowingly repeat their bad action in the future. In all situations, it is essential to accept their apology and offer them the complete forgiveness of exoneration. You'll feel better, and so will the person who hurt you. In fact, not to offer forgiveness in these circumstances would be harmful to your own well-being. It might even suggest that there's something more wrong with you than the person who caused the pain. The second type of forgiveness we'll call forbearance. And here things get a little more complicated. Forbearance applies when the offender makes a partial apology or mingles their expression of sorrow with blame that you somehow caused them to behave badly. An apology is offered, but it's not what you had hoped for and may not even be fully authentic. While you should always reflect on whether there was a provocation on your part, even when you bear no responsibility, you should exercise forbearance if the relationship matters to you. Cease dwelling on the particular offense. Do away with grudges and fantasies of revenge, but retain a degree of watchfulness. This is similar to forgive but don't forget, or trust but verify. By using forbearance, you're able to maintain ties to people who, while far from perfect, are still important to you. Furthermore, in some cases, after a sufficient period of good behavior, forbearance can rise to exoneration and full forgiveness. But what do you do when the person who hurt you doesn't even acknowledge that they've done anything wrong or gives an obviously insincere apology, making no reparations whatsoever? These are the cases of forgiveness that are the most challenging. Still, even here, there's a solution. I call it release, the third type of forgiveness. Release does not exonerate the offender, nor does it require forbearance. It doesn't even demand that you continue the relationship 
but it does ask that instead of continuing to define much of your life in terms of the hurt done, you release your bad feelings and your preoccupation with the negative things that have happened to you. Release does something that is critically important. It allows you to let go of the burden, the silent tax that's weighing you down and eating away at your chances for happiness. If you don't release the pain and anger and move past dwelling on old hurts and betrayals, you will be allowing the ones who hurt you to live rent-free in your mind, reliving forever the persecution that the original incident started. Whether you get there through your own efforts, through psychotherapy, through religion, or some other method, release liberates you from the tyranny of living in the traumatic past, even when the other forms of forgiveness, exoneration, and forbearance are not possible. To forgive may be divine, but when we understand its dimensions, we find that it is within our ability to do it. It's so important to distinguish the difference. Forgiving does not mean forgetting or altering your morals, being fully accepting of what happened or what someone did, including yourself. But it's giving yourself permission to move on and find a new way past it. If you squint, even now you'll see that it's the best solution for you. In time, you'll have the chance, if you want it, to truly unpack and analyze. Accepting responsibility for your role can also take a bit of a journey. In sales, we're taught to enhance our strengths and downplay our weaknesses. And oh, this is all so easy in our personal lives. He did that. She did that. They said this or they said that. But what did you say or do? Geez, some things are just part of the growth process. My favorite analogy, which I'm sure you've heard me use over and over, is the ground versus aerial assault. There's a period in your life where it feels like you're on the ground in the middle of a jungle hacking your way through with a machete. You can't see too far in front of you, so you're just swinging away, hacking. As you grow, you're able to step back and look at the bigger picture. I like to think of this as the aerial view, like looking down at a mouse maze. From up here, you can see the cheese and the most obvious path to get there. Why can't the darn mouse see it? It's mindset and growth. Most of that growth happened by failing. When you were able to accept your responsibility for the part you played, you were able to be objective about what went wrong and strategize a different path to the cheese. When you aren't willing to take responsibility but instead blame others, you stay stuck. Sometimes accepting your role is tough, but that's where the biggest growth takes place. Let's keep going so we can understand how to forgive others and eventually ourselves. It's time to lighten the load. Eight keys to forgiveness. Forgiveness can be incredibly difficult. Robert Enright explains where to start in his article for greater good. When another person hurts us, it can upend our lives. Sometimes the hurt is very deep, such as when a spouse or a parent betrays our trust, or when we're victims of a crime, or when we've been harshly bullied. 
Anyone who has suffered a grievous hurt knows that when our inner world is badly disrupted, it's difficult to concentrate on anything other than our turmoil or pain. When we hold on to hurt, we're emotionally and cognitively hobbled and our relationships suffer. Forgiveness is a strong medicine for this. When life hits us hard, there's nothing as effective as forgiveness for healing deep wounds. Many people have misconceptions about what forgiveness really means, and they may askew it. Others may want to forgive, but wonder whether or not they truly can. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily come easily, but it is possible for many of us to achieve if we have the right tools and are willing to put forth the effort. This is an outline of the basic steps involved in following a path of forgiveness adapted from Robert's book, Eight Keys to Forgiveness. Number one, know what forgiveness is and why it matters. Forgiveness is about goodness, about extending mercy to those who've harmed us, even if they don't deserve it. It's not about finding excuses for the offending person's behavior or pretending it didn't happen nor is there a quick formula you can follow. Forgiveness is a process with many steps that often proceeds in a nonlinear fashion, but it's well worth the effort. Working on forgiveness can help us increase our self-esteem and give us a sense of inner strength and safety. It can reverse the lies that we often tell ourselves when someone has hurt us deeply. Lies like, I'm defeated or I'm not worthy. Forgiveness can heal us and allow us to move on in life with meaning and purpose. Forgiveness matters, and we will be its primary beneficiary. Studies have shown that forgiving others produces strong psychological benefits for the one who forgives. It's been shown to decrease depression, anxiety, unhealthy anger, and the symptoms of PTSD. But we don't just forgive to help ourselves. Forgiveness can lead to psychological healing, yes, but in its essence, it's not something about you or done for you. It is something you extend toward another person because you recognize over time that it's the best response to the situation. Number two, become forgivingly fit. To practice forgiveness, it helps if you have worked on positively changing your inner world by learning to be what is called forgivingly fit. Just as you would start slowly with a new physical exercise routine, it helps if you build up your forgiving heart muscles slowly, incorporating regular workouts into your everyday life. You can start becoming more fit by making a commitment to do no harm. In other words, making a conscious effort not to talk disparagingly about those who have hurt you. You don't have to say good things, but if you refrain from talking negatively, it will feed the more forgiving side of your mind and heart. You can also make a practice of recognizing that every person is unique, special, and irreplaceable. You may come to this through religious beliefs or humanist philosophy or even through your belief in evolution. It's important to cultivate this mindset of valuing your common humanity so that it becomes harder to discount someone who has harmed you as unworthy. 
you can show love in small ways in everyday encounters, like smiling at a hurried grocery cashier or taking time to listen to a child. Giving love when it's unnecessary helps to build the love muscle, making it easier to show compassion towards everyone. If you practice small acts of forgiveness and mercy, extending care when someone harms you, in everyday life, this too will help. Perhaps you can refrain from honking when somebody cuts you off in traffic or hold your tongue when your spouse snaps at you. Sometimes pride and power can weaken your efforts to forgive by making you feel entitled and inflated so that you hang on to your resentment as a noble cause. Try to catch yourself when you're acting from that place and choose forgiveness or mercy instead. Number three, address your inner pain. It's important to figure out who has hurt you and how. This may seem obvious, but not every action that causes you suffering is unjust. For example, you don't need to forgive your child or your spouse for being imperfect, even if their imperfections are inconvenient for you. To become clear, you can look carefully at the people in your life, your parents, siblings, peers, spouse, coworkers, children, and even yourself, and rate how much they've hurt you. Perhaps they've exercised power over you or withheld love, or maybe they've physically harmed you. These hurts have contributed to your inner pain and need to be acknowledged. Doing this will give you an idea of who needs forgiveness in your life and provide you a place to start. There are many forms of emotional pain, but the common forms are anxiety, depression, unhealthy anger, lack of trust, self-loathing, or low self-esteem, an overall negative worldview, and a lack of confidence in one's ability to change. All of these can be addressed by forgiveness, so it's important to identify the kind of pain that you're suffering from and acknowledge it. The more hurt you have incurred, the more important it is to forgive, at least for the purpose of experiencing emotional healing. You may be able to do this accounting on your own, or you may need the help of a therapist. However you approach looking at your pain, be sure that you do it in an environment that feels safe and supportive. Number four, develop a forgiving mind through empathy. Scientists have studied what happens in the brain when we think about forgiving and have discovered that when people successfully imagine forgiving someone in a hypothetical situation, they show increased activity in the neural circuits responsible for empathy. This tells us that empathy is connected to forgiveness and is an important step in the process. If you examine some of the details in the life of the person who harmed you, you can often see more clearly what wounds he carries and start to develop empathy for him. First, try to imagine them as an innocent child needing love and support. Did they get it from their parents? Research has shown that if an infant doesn't receive attention and love from a primary caregiver, then they will have a weak attachment, which can damage trust. 
It may prevent them from ever getting close to others and set a trajectory of loneliness and conflicts for the rest of their life. You may be able to put an entire narrative together for the person who hurt you from early childhood to adulthood, or just imagine it from what you know. You may be able to see their physical frailties and psychological suffering and begin to understand the common humanity that you share. You may recognize them as a vulnerable person who was wounded and wounded you in return. Despite what they've done to hurt you, you realize that they didn't deserve to suffer either. Recognizing that we all carry wounds in our hearts can help open the doors to forgiveness. Number five, find meaning in your suffering. When we suffer a great deal, it's important that we find meaning in what we've endured. Without seeing meaning, a person can lose a sense of purpose, which can lead to hopelessness and despairing conclusion that there is no meaning to life itself. That doesn't mean we look for suffering in order to grow or to try to find goodness in another's bad actions. Instead, we try to see how our suffering has changed us in a positive way. Even as one suffers, it's possible to develop short-term and sometimes long-range goals in life. Some people begin to think about how they can use their suffering to cope because they've become more resilient or brave. They may also realize that their suffering has altered their perspective regarding what's important in life, changing their long-range goals for themselves. To find meaning is not to diminish your pain or to say that, I'll just make the best of it, and all things happen for a reason. You must always take care to address the wounds for yourself and to recognize the injustice of the experience or forgiveness will be shallow. There are many ways to find meaning in our suffering. Some may choose to focus more on the beauty of the world or decide to give service to others in need. Some may find meaning by speaking their truth or by strengthening their inner resolve. If I were to give one answer, it would be that we should use our suffering to become more loving and to pass that love on to others. Finding meaning in and of itself is helpful to finding direction to forgiveness. Number six, when forgiveness is hard, call upon other strengths. Forgiveness is always hard when we're dealing with deep injustices from others. Robert says, I have known people who refuse to use the word forgiveness because it just makes them so angry. That's okay. We all have our own timelines for when we can be merciful. But if you want to forgive and are finding it hard, it may help to call upon other resources. First, remember that if you're struggling with forgiveness, that doesn't mean you're a failure at forgiveness. Forgiveness is a process that takes time, patience, and determination. Try not to be harsh on yourself, but be gentle and foster a sense of quiet within and inner acceptance of yourself. Try to respond to yourself as you would to someone whom you love deeply. 
Surround yourself with good and wise people who support you and have the patience to allow you time to heal in your own way. Also, practice humility, not in the sense of putting yourself down, but in realizing that we are all capable of imperfection and suffering. Try to develop courage and patience in yourself to help you in the journey. Also, if you practice bearing small slights against you without lashing out, you give a gift to everyone, not only to the other person, but to everyone whom that person may harm in the future because of your anger. You can help in the cycle of inflicting pain on others. If you're still finding it hard to forgive, you can choose to practice with someone who is easier to forgive, maybe someone who hurt you in a small way rather than deeply. It can be better to focus on forgiving the person who is at the root of your pain, maybe a parent who was abusive or a spouse who betrayed you. If this initial hurt impacts other parts of your life and other relationships, it may be necessary to start there. Number seven, forgive yourself. Most of us tend to be harder on ourselves than we are on others, and we struggle to love ourselves. If you're not feeling lovable because of actions you've taken, you may need to work on self-forgiveness and offer to yourself what you offer to others who've hurt you, a sense of inherent worth despite your actions. In self-forgiveness, you honor yourself as a person, even if you're imperfect. If you've broken your personal standards in a serious way, there's a danger of sliding into self-loathing. When this happens, you may not take good care of yourself. You might overeat or oversleep or start smoking or engage in other forms of self-punishment. You need to recognize this and move towards self-compassion. Soften your heart towards yourself. After you've been able to self-forgive, you'll also need to engage in seeking forgiveness from others whom you've harmed and right the wrongs as best as you can. It's important to be prepared for the possibility that the other person may not be ready to forgive you and to practice patience and humility. But a sincere apology, free of conditions and expectations, will go a long way towards your receiving forgiveness in the end. Number eight, develop a forgiving heart. When we overcome suffering, we gain a more mature understanding of what it means to be humble, courageous, and loving in the world. We may be moved to create an atmosphere of forgiveness in our homes and our workplaces to help others who've been harmed overcome their suffering or to protect our communities from a cycle of hatred and violence. All of these choices can lighten the heart and bring joy to one's life. Some people may believe that love for another who's harmed you is not possible. But Robert said, I've found that many people who forgive eventually find a way to open their hearts. If you shed bitterness and put love in its place, and then repeat this with many, many other people, you become freed to love more widely and deeply. This kind of transformation can create a legacy of love 
that will live on long after you're gone. I love this idea of developing a forgiving heart. A good reminder that it's easy to go the other way when you've been wronged, to develop calluses and build walls. Here's my go-to analogy that might be helpful. Matt and I have been remodeling the house and getting rid of stuff we don't need anymore. It's very tempting to keep things in the off chance that you might need them one day. As a result, you accumulate a lot of stuff you rarely use. If you've moved around as much as I have, that means a lot of boxes and a lot of storage needed. During this last pass-through, we decided that we wanted to build our life around the 98% versus the 2%. Meaning, what do you need 90% of the time instead of having enough stuff for the 2% of time? Okay, where that seems helpful, you might be thinking it's a bit of a stretch here, but hear me out. How many times have you been wronged? How many times has someone let you down? For the most part, are people good and decent? If you find this to be true, then why callous your response to the 2% instead of opening your heart to the 98%? Let's get a clinical look at the benefits of forgiveness. The Mayo Clinic shares forgiveness letting go of grudges and bitterness. Who hasn't been hurt by the actions or words of others? Perhaps a parent constantly criticized you growing up, a colleague sabotaged a project, or your partner had an affair. Or maybe you've had a traumatic experience like being physically or emotionally abused by someone close to you. These wounds can leave you with lasting feelings of anger and bitterness, even vengeance. But if you don't practice forgiveness, you might be the one who pays most dearly. By embracing forgiveness, you can also embrace peace, hope, gratitude, and joy. Consider how forgiveness can lead you down the path of physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Forgiveness means different things to different people. Generally, however, it involves a decision to let go of resentment and thoughts of revenge. The act that hurt or offended you might always be with you, but forgiveness can lessen its grip and also help free you from the control of the person who harmed you. Forgiveness can even lead to feelings of understanding, empathy, and compassion for the one who hurt you. Letting go of grudges and bitterness can make way for improved health and peace of mind. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, improved self-esteem. Being hurt by someone, particularly someone you love and trust, can cause anger, sadness, and confusion. If you dwell on hurtful events or situations, grudges filled with resentment, vengeance, and hostility can take root. If you allow negative feelings to crowd out positive feelings, you might find yourself swallowed up by your own bitterness or sense of injustice. Some people are naturally more forgiving than others. But even if you're a grudge holder, 
almost anyone can learn to be more forgiving. If you're unforgiving, you might bring anger and bitterness into every relationship and every new experience. Become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. Become depressed or anxious. Feel that your life lacks meaning or purpose and that you're at odds with your spiritual beliefs. Lose valuable and enriching connectedness with others. Forgiveness is a commitment to a personalized process of change. To move from suffering to forgiveness, you might recognize the value of forgiveness and how it can improve your life. Identify what needs healing and who needs to be forgiven and for what. Consider joining a support group or seeing a counselor. Acknowledge your emotions about the harm done to you and how they affect your behavior and work to release them. Choose to forgive the person who's offended you. Move away from your role as victim and release the control and power the offending person and situation have had in your life. As you let go of grudges, you'll no longer define your life by how you've been hurt. You might even find compassion and understanding. Forgiveness can be challenging, especially if the person who's hurt you doesn't admit they're wrong. If you find yourself stuck, practice empathy. Try seeing the situation from the other person's point of view. Ask yourself why they would behave in such a way. Perhaps you would have reacted similarly if you faced the same situation. Reflect on times you've hurt others and those who've forgiven you. Write a journal, pray, or use guided meditation, or talk with a person you found to be wise and compassionate, like a spiritual leader, a mental health provider, or an impartial loved one or friend. Be aware that forgiveness is a process, and even small hurts may need to be revisited and forgiven over and over again. If the hurtful event involved someone whose relationship you otherwise value, forgiveness can lead to reconciliation. This isn't always the case, but reconciliation might be impossible if the offender has died or is unwilling to communicate with you. In other cases, reconciliation might not be appropriate. Still, forgiveness is possible even if reconciliation isn't. Getting another person to change their actions, behavior, or words isn't the point of forgiveness. Think of forgiveness more about how it can change your life by bringing you peace, happiness, and emotional and spiritual healing. Forgiveness can take away the power the other person continues to wield over your life. The first step is to honestly assess and acknowledge the wrongs you've done and how they've affected others. Avoid judging yourself too harshly, though. If you're truly sorry for something you've said or done, consider admitting it to those you've harmed. Speak of your sincere sorrow or regret and ask for forgiveness without making excuses. Remember, you can't force someone to forgive you. Others need to move to forgiveness in their own time. Whatever happens, commit to treating others with compassion, empathy, and respect. Part of any 12-step program is to make amends. 
This may conjure up someone knocking on the door and asking forgiveness for something so far in the past you can hardly remember just to satisfy a requirement or make themselves feel better. Or maybe you're the one faced with the task and suffering the anxiety of dredging up the past. Here's something to consider. It can also be the willingness to make amends instead of an actual act. Sound like you're off the hook? Well, wait a minute. To be willing is to face the incident, re-examine your role, take responsibility, then be willing to move forward with this new knowledge, forgiving yourself or someone else. That can be just as challenging as knocking on the door or making that phone call. Remember, self-discovery is about discovering yourself, and most of the work is very internal and personal. Ready to take that step? Kendra Cherry leads the way with taking the steps to forgive yourself in her article for VeryWellMind.com. Forgiveness is often defined as a deliberate decision to let go of feelings of anger, resentment, and retribution towards someone who you believe has wronged you. Everyone makes mistakes. But learning how to learn from these errors, let go, move on, and forgive yourself is important for mental health and well-being. Self-forgiveness is not about letting yourself off the hook, or is it a sign of weakness? The act of forgiveness, whether you are forgiving yourself or someone who's wronged you, doesn't suggest that you're condoning the behavior. Forgiveness means that you accept the behavior, you accept what has happened, and you're willing to move past it and move on with your life without ruminating over past events that can't be changed. One therapeutic approach to self-forgiveness suggests that four key actions can be helpful. The four R's of self-forgiveness. Responsibility, remorse, restoration, renewal. So the first one, accepting responsibility. Facing what you've done or what has happened is the first step towards self-forgiveness. It's also the hardest step. If you've been making excuses, rationalizing, or justifying your actions in order to make them seem acceptable, it's time to face up and accept what you've done. As a result of taking responsibility, you may experience a range of negative feelings, including guilt and shame. When you've done something wrong, it's completely normal, even healthy, to feel guilty about it. These feelings of guilt and remorse can serve as a springboard towards positive behavior change. While guilt implies that you're a good person who did something bad, shame makes you see yourself as a bad person. This can bring up feelings of worthlessness, which, left unresolved, can lead to addiction, depression, and aggression. Understand that making mistakes that you feel guilty about doesn't mean that you're a bad person or undermine your intrinsic value. Making amends is an important part of forgiveness, even when the person you're forgiving is yourself. Just as you might not forgive someone else until they've made it up to you in some way, forgiving yourself is more likely to stick when you feel like you've earned it. One way to move past your guilt is to take action to rectify your mistakes. Apologize if it's called for, 
and look for ways that you can make it up to whomever you hurt. It may seem as if this portion of the process benefits only the person you've harmed, but again, it's really for you too. Everyone makes mistakes and has things for which they feel sorry or regretful. Falling into the trap of rumination, self-hatred, or even pity can be damaging and make it difficult to maintain your self-esteem and motivation. Forgiving yourself often requires finding a way to learn from the experience and grow as a person. To do this, you need to understand why you behave the way you did and why you feel guilty. What steps can you take to prevent the same behaviors again in the future? Forgiving is not just dealing with your past on an ongoing basis, but through a renewed mindset, changing your future. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, let go of resentment and lower your defenses. Be willing to re-examine your role, forgive yourself for the part you played, Offer the same to others and receive the freedom to move forward. You hold the key. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's through until the path was clear. That's when I found you.